be fine. Mate, I'm getting grief on the chat saying, where has this all started? And I said, it's just in time management. But in fact, we're just out of time management. So that's... I was in a, I was in a future, I was in a future recruiting brain food life. Oh, so oh, you're logged into a different show, basically. I was logged into like, next week's show. Oh, crap. I wonder whether I sent the wrong update to people. No, no, but, no. It's entirely my fault. No, I just... Is I, it? I, I, it's entirely my fault. Yeah. All right. I, I've been making so many mistakes this week. Um, uh, these that, that I think I'm just brains just fried, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if I made a massive snafu. Like, I, I'm ready for the break, you know what I mean? I'm ready for having a couple of weeks just downtime, so uh, so yeah, well, my, my, I'm making lots of errors right now. I mean, just um, by way of example, you called hundreds of people Karen um, <laughs> last week, which I thought was just, just deliberately being offensive, but it was actually just a mistake. It was a massive mistake. I don't even know how that happened. Um, but thankfully, everyone was quite humorous about it, and I didn't get that many like spam reports. Um, but, uh, but there we go. Anyway, <laughs> all the names, Karen. I know it's the wrong, it's the wrong column, isn't it? Um, but anyway, welcome everybody to Brain Food Live on Air. We're nearly there. It is episode two, three, six, um, uh, and we're bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. Um, this is kind of episode two of a two-part series we're doing, of a four-part series we're doing, should I say, which is all about look back on what's happening this year uh, in 2023. Um, and we're going to try and focus on two topics that are kind of related, but we are, we do know they're separate. We're going to try and bring them together in like uh, part A, part B, halfway through, we're going to flip over. Uh, so first half, we're going to talk about recruitment advertising, what's happened in recruitment advertising this year. Second half, we're going to flip over and think about employer branding, what's happened on EB this year um so we've got like some world-class experts i don't actually understate that that are joining us and talking us through both of these uh, aspects it's going to be brilliant um so folks uh, before we kick, kick, kick through just want to make sure that audio and video is fine um hopefully i fixed my my mic by the way so i should be sounding a lot better um if you can hear me in crowdcast do let me know in the chat um we should be live streaming this in everybody's channel so i think um we've got uh, me on my linkedin we've definitely got you adam on yours um stephen o'donnell's doing it uh, luke davis i think doing it. rob walker of course if you're watching this on any of these linkedin lives uh comment below let me know whether you can hear and see me okay um i think we're okay there let me do a quick check yeah cool i think we're fine um, all right, we have to thank our sponsors as ever, as ever. And today, um, our sponsors are a peace monster. Um, it, it's, it's the newest, latest thing, category kind of defining application. It's poetry, uh, poetry by Adam Gordon. So Adam, you just happen to be here. So you might as well tell us a bit about uh, recruiter enablement and why people should care about poetry. Yeah, sure. Okay, thank you. Um, so... Poetry is a, we describe it as a recruiter enablement workspace. It's solving two challenges. The first is it's bringing together many solutions that recruiters currently have to access right across their desktop, uh, causing them stress and time trying to uh, do the toggle tax and find everything. Um, solutions for marketing, for operate, recruitment operations, for recruiter learning and uh, bringing together all the different third-party tools as well, accessible from easy-to-click tiles. Um, big, big emphasis on recruitment marketing. So we're offering solutions to help recruiters be better at creating uh, social media posts, in-mail messages, emails, job adverts, uh, personas, 
getting competitor intelligence so that they can build better um, communications. It's uh, Gen AI enabled. We have a function called Inspire Me. You fill in a couple of fields in a form and it sends a 30 sentence uh, prompt into the large language model we use to return back for you pretty much what you're looking for. There's one free uh, workspace for an admin in every company. So you can sign up for your poetryhr.com. And I hope that's interesting. Oh, wow. Some people are saying Crowdcast is frozen. Um, so um, I don't know whether that's you. you or me. Yeah, I think we're fine. But you know what? I'm not confident on my on my IT. Um, and it's basically PT have refused to come around now. Um, they've literally said, no, it's fine. I said, listen, mate, it ain't fine. Um, so I need to get... Uh, Need to get a, a figure out why. I wonder whether the choppiness might also be because we're multi-streaming as well. But um, but hopefully we can hear everyone okay um, as we go through. So we just have to bear with this limited ability we can do it, to do anything about that. Um, all right, poetryhr.com. Check it out, particularly if you have a large uh, a sort of recruiter team. I think it, 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 this thing scales to effectiveness. So the more recruiters you have, the better. Um, all right, cool. Um, let's t t review the newsletter, mate. Uh, let's. let's blast through that um what did you see that was interesting uh, last week mate uh well the first one was the results of your poll I've, I've referenced the results of your poll a few times recently actually um only 26 percent um of people uh, have hired more people more this year than they did last year so 74 percent of people have hired the same or less mostly less um so um yeah i mean it's uh just, just, just pretty straightforward evidence of being it's been a pretty shitty year. Yep, yep, I think so. Uh, and you know, this is not about wallowing in in negativity, but it's useful always to get a little bit of a benchmark to see where it's at. Because I think we're, we we're all a little bit lacking in confidence in our own assessment of affairs. Because obviously, um, we're only looking at our own uh, business most of the time. But but yeah, it was a useful poll, and I'm doing a lot of this polling by the way for a particular reason. Because um, I'm going to do a forecast post for next year as to what it looks like. And I'm actually going to go to some of these polls and say, look, this year it was like this. And I'm going to try and be very specific um, with a number, uh, a kind of measurement and a way in which you can test the prediction. So it's not just, oh, I think we're going to get better next year. It's going to be look very specifically. Actually, there's going to be increased chatbot implementation by 40% based on this measurement. Um, and then you can test whether I've got it right or wrong uh, going forward. So uh, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm doing a lot of these polls going forward from there. Anyway, yeah, polls are interesting. Okay. We're going to keep rolling. Give us a couple more, mate. Yeah, well, another one, which unfortunately is a bit more wallowing again, is that Atomico, the investment company, put out a sort of state of uh, European tech uh, report. And there's been less than half the number of, IPOs and acquisitions at a billion dollars plus in Europe this year compared to 2022. And 2022 itself was quite a suppressed year. So, I mean, yeah, I think uh, like we're all, we're, you know, if you've, if you've come out of 2023 alive, then good. It's a big winnowing uh, effect. And, and this is what you're going to get. Basically, the, the businesses that uh, emerge from this are going to be fitter, stronger, tougher, 
um, yeah. more confident. Um, we just got to grit through, you know, you got to have that mental strength to get there. And that's not to say it's a weak thing to to quit. I think that's totally fair to do if that's, if that's right for you and your business. Um, but, uh, but it's moments like this that does kind of, it's a big kind of uh, uh, winnowing out um, of the, the, the affair. Um, Atomicore, every year they produce uh, this report. It is a fantastic report. It's one of the best I've seen in terms of quality, in terms of the, the level of data they provide. I think everyone should read it. But if you're in you're a tech person or you're a tech recruiter you absolutely need to read it so easy to download just go check it out on the link i've just shared i think we we do emphasize tech a lot on this show but i i i think that there is a downstream effect if the tech sector is doing well then it tends to be the economy's doing well overall it feels like tech's a bellwether um and if tech's suppressed then it's very likely that the the, the economy is going to be suppressed yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely related. And as, as we're getting educated as to how the economy works, we know different sectors operate in different places as well. But, but there's, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the exciting stuff that's been happening over the last decade in recruiting has actually been tech focused. Um, so we've seen that. Um, yeah, at the same time, you know, we're going to look into more high volume. I think next year, Brave Food, we're going to talk a lot more in terms of blue collar hiring, uh, entry level hiring, that type of thing, international hiring. Um, a lot of that may not actually be specifically about tech at all. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's important, but I don't think it's necessarily directly representative. Um, okay, cool. Give us uh, give us another one, mate. Right. Okay. Um, I actually only have one more this week. Um, there was an article on um, Stack Overflow written by Stack Overflow, which said that um, people being productive working from home is not really the point. Um, well, it, it it is the point for the shareholders and the CEO. Um, but what they said is missing from the conversation is the fact that people are actually happier working from home. Um, and also companies can have more diverse workforces if they're allowing people to work from home. It feels like we've been talking about this subject for years, but well, we, we have. Um, but I don't think it's any less relevant because, you know, attitudes are changing. It's been um, a uh, prolific year for CEOs trying to get people back into the office. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I, while I agree that if you've got the if you've got the ability to work from home, then you probably are going to be more happy because you can, you know, choose what you want to do. Um, I, I think at the I, I I do want to be a bit like like Gordon Gecko about this, which is if the company's not doing great. The CEO needs to do what the CEO needs to do to make the company work well. So it's horses for courses and distributed workforce is not the right thing for a lot of companies. Whereas it, it is the absolute right thing yeah. for others. Yeah, and there's a tension also between what's right for a human being, what's right for the company. Those two things are not always aligned. Uh, anybody who's built a company at any scale would, would probably recognize that because, you know, the, the, the founder of the company, the stakeholders, the shareholders obviously have a, a different type of commitment um, compared to someone who's just an employee. Um, even though the rhetoric is we're all in it together, we're all family, et cetera, et cetera, there is a different level of commitment. Um, and so um, I'm really pleased to see that uh, uh, blog post by Stack Overflow because it's kind of um, a conversation I've been intimating a little bit over this year, which is that we, we shouldn't actually defend remote based on productivity gains. Um, we should defend remote based on the fact it's better. We do actually do less work. Uh, I'm, I'm quite clear on it. The reason why we like remote is because we ipso facto do less work. That's why we like it. Um, and we should defend it on that basis. 
Um, you know what I mean? We go into the office, we get ground down. We're complaining about overwork. We're complaining about mental health. We're complaining about, you know what I mean? We can't see our kids. We can't do all of those things. Well, guess what? The reason why remote is better because it does actually rebalance us a little bit. So it's a negotiation we have to have with the employers on this. Um, but hopefully, um, as we go forward, um, we can see that um, enlightened employers will be uh, will be able to provide uh, those types of conditions. And if not, you know, um, again, marketplace will basically uh, determine where we're at on that. Um, all right, I, I get a lot. I get a lot more work done from home because I get far less. I do far less non-urgent meetings. Yeah. Yeah, I think people. I think people work at it themselves if they don't have you sitting in front of them. Where if they've got you sitting in front of them, they come over and start asking you about stuff that they're just being lazy. They could they could work out themselves. I, I, I so I, I honestly think it can work the opposite way. I think it's all about the individual's personality as well. It, it works. It works for exactly the same reasons that we've done. This is not a remote uh, sort of topic, so we'll have to skip this real quick. But the bottom line is, um, the reason why some people like remote is because it gives the opportunity to learn from more experienced people. Therefore, younger people typically, or younger people in their career, typically like to be remote because precisely they can ask people and learn um, across the desk. Um, but it's, that's exactly the reason why uh, experienced people don't like remote because they get interrupted more. Um, and they're less able to function um, and, and, and be productive on their own work. Um, so it's the exact same thing. Basically, the minus for experienced workers that you get interrupted, um, the plus for the inexperienced workers that you can do the interrupting. Um, and that's why there's, uh, the, there's that tension between, you know, some people pro and con. And then, of course, you add the home conditions to it. Different story. Uh, there's a pattern as well in terms of how many kids you've got, I think. Um, if you've got loads of young kids, I found that the, the parent wants to go in um because it gives them space away from young kids that obviously want to interact with you all the time um uh, but uh, which you know uh, 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 others don't have this situation so domestic circumstances is a key factor but anyway i think we know enough about it um uh, and you know we're gonna just have to uh, we'll see where where we're at i mean we know that we want to have the flexibility but there's going to be uh, a trade-off either way all right cool let's get on with this mate um we're not going to Ask your opinion on this, Adam, because I need you to critique all, all of this along with me, because you and I are fairly ignorant on a lot of this, aren't we? Um, but uh, <laughs> I want to bring on Alex uh, Chukovsky first, because um, he was great, always is, one of the, the great commentators in our space, I think. Um, and we saw him at TA Tech earlier this week, and he was fab fabulous, of course. Um, and I actually wanted to basically talk us about talk to us about this because uh, a lot of people in our audience I don't think are particularly aware um, of uh, how Google works when it comes to job advertising. You know, the, the biggest search engine, um, uh, the biggest aggregator, um, and we should know this. So let's bring on Alex. See how he is. There he is, Alex. How are you doing? Guten Tag. Hi. Guten Tag. How are you? You back in Munich? I hope you're okay. Um, back in Munich after eight hours uh, yeah, from London. Just I just I will be in Munich on the fourteenth of June, twenty twenty four. The opening <laughs> game of Euro twenty twenty four, Scotland versus Germany. Oh, okay, nice, exciting, exciting. At the Allianz uh, Stadium. Are we gonna meet for a fight or for a beer? <laughs> <laughs> Let's decide closer to the time. 
you know what Scotland might actually do over Germany um it's 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 been a bit one of the better Scottish squads for a long time and Germany obviously have getting busy losing to Liechtenstein and stuff like this recently so uh, whoever it is it's been it's been Germany have to turn it around in tournament style I, I think they've just rolled in with like one of the the, the most demoralized records we've seen for a long time so uh, let's see how we go um anyway Alex for the people who don't know you why don't you quickly introduce yourself who are you what it is you do uh, yeah, I do two things. I run niche job boards uh, for a living. And on the other hand, I have a consulting business where I help other job boards, aggregators, and ATSs with all kinds of funny problems like SEO, Google Jobs optimization, job classification, programmatic job advertising, pretty much the whole stack. The only thing that I don't do is uh, plain marketing. So, yeah, yeah. happy to help. No, I mean, and this is really important because I do think that recruiters in general are quite ignorant of the field that you operate in um, and they could do with the education. But let's do the history first. I mean, in 2000, uh, the, the, the challenge was, OK, 2023, what actually happened in recruitment advertising as far as things like SEO and Google was concerned? I mean, can you give us a bit of a timeline as to what the major events were uh, this year as far as you saw it, Alex? Yeah, so on, on Google Jobs, which is this thing that pops up when you search for a job a title and a location on Google, uh, in the beginning of the year, it kind of looked pretty bleak. If you asked me, I would have said that it's probably over as a product. And then as we moved along 2023, a lot of exciting stuff happened. Uh, first, we got two different large um, updates of the core uh, Google algorithm. So the thing that can really destroy your SEO, mostly driven because of uh, generative AI and the whole uh, generative search experience. So um, I saw a few job boards get hit pretty bad, especially the ones that did not have a good content strategy or were only aggregating jobs from other job boards, so like traditional aggregators. But um, Google Jobs also got a few updates on the ranking algorithm. Um, they do happen occasionally, but this year I would say that I have detected probably about two large updates. So it's becoming a lot more complicated to optimize your Google Jobs performance in the saturated markets like the US and the UK. In Europe uh, and in Germany, where we are like technologically 10 years behind the rest of the world, uh, still plenty of opportunities, obviously in France uh, and Italy too. And then I think somewhere in summer, uh, or the end of summer, we saw Tom from AppCast posted a screenshot of Google Job Ads, uh, which is going to be essentially the job sponsoring product from Google. It's not going to be part of Google Jobs. It's going to have its own um, space at the top of the search result above the first sponsored results. This is very exciting. I think it's going to shake up the industry a lot. And just a month uh, earlier, we saw the first new tests of the Google Jobs UX. So there is a new UX being tested for Google Jobs right now, the organic product. And Google has been also testing SERP features. So these are these additional, um, I don't know, real estates in Google on the search result page that you see like something like the answers, for example, or um, in our case, there are these new nice search pages for jobs, for job boards, right? So that they give more prominence to job boards. There is a direct button that pushes you immediately into the Google Jobs UX. So 
saw lots of changes. And to me, it sounds like Google is back into recruitment marketing um, full-time. Very, very interesting overview, Alex. A couple of things that you mentioned that I didn't realize. I didn't realize there was potentially a new kind of Google product um, uh, uh, that isn't related to Google for jobs. But it's, uh, as you say, it's, uh, is, is, would this be a new way for employers to potentially advertise um, and uh, uh, to advertise a job and basically have it positioned uh, 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 above the above the other sponsor results. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So the the scope of this product is that you, as a job advertiser, can dominate the whole SERP page. So you can have the top um, area with the sponsored job ads. Uh, they look a little bit like car ads and shopping ads if you know them. Then at the bottom you have the usual sponsored job alerts. Then you have the first organic results. Then you have Google Jobs. And if you're someone like you know large names that have a pretty good organic and uh, paid campaigns, you can own these pages. You can like literally own I don't know product manager jobs in London. You can you can be the only brand that appears in these searches. I find this very intriguing. Yes, that is a big, big. I mean, Google have always had this like latent threat, haven't they? They've they've always had the ability, given the fact everyone finds sort of content initially through Google, they could have always have done this, but they never did. And they allowed companies like Indeed to emerge to kind of be a, a vertical in jobs, a company like Skyscanner to emerge to be a vertical in in flights. Um, and it's it was always puzzling, like why didn't they actually you know uh, produce this? Um, uh, but they never did. But it, it may well be that they're in a situation where uh, they, uh, they they want to get their act together. Perhaps there's more interest in revenue generation now that um, ads in general are being pressured. Um, and, and perhaps finally, Google is starting to think, you know what, we can't roll into this new world with 95% dependency on ad revenue, uh, purely in, in traditional ad revenue. They need to find other ways um, to... Uh, uh, to get some money in so very interesting um alex where would people find more information about this is there a sole source i mean is there is there a place that you post this stuff um how do you um, people like yeah my linkedin and my blog alexandrachukowski.com which is it has only five articles but you know it's it's picking up slowly <laughs> yeah share your share your blog in there alex and also share um uh, i mean i've also shared the uh, your linkedin as well definitely follow alex um he's uh uh, a really good commentator with a very clear specialism, which I really like um, because it gives people, I think, a very uh, accurate, not an accurate window because everyone's obviously biased, but it gives people a window into a field that they perhaps wouldn't normally spend a lot of time doing. So uh, that's exactly where um, you want to do. So, Alex, listen, thank you so much for joining us, man. We're going to roll on, roll off because we've got tons of people to bring on. So thank you very much. Um, Thanks for having for your time. me. Great to see you. Uh, and we'll see you soon, man. See you soon. Bye-bye. Super interesting. I know we've got skeptics in, in the crowd there. Jeff, I totally get you. Google, when is it happening? We don't know. <laughs> They've got a long history of like promising the world and not doing anything. I think there's, there's, there's got to be a change. They've got to respond to some of the, these huge changes that have affected ads in general. And also now with generative AI affecting potentially search, 
they just can't sit there and just sit there on ad revenue in the traditional sense. So I think we're going to see a surge of Google stuff happening and it'll start bleeding into all the work we do. Um, okay, we're going to go to programmatic advertising straight away. Uh, let's bring on uh, Josh Willows and Robin Standing, Stander, should I say. Um, Robin, I hope you're still with us. Yes, he is. Um, main stage and we've got Josh as well. Uh, I'm interested to know where we're at with um, Josh is just Josh. I, I'm gonna interested to know where we're actually uh, at with programmatic because it's one it's been one of those categories where we've been waiting for adoption at least in the UK. Um, and I'd be interested to know from Robin whether he can give us an update on that. Uh, before we kick off, Robin, good to see you. Uh, can you quickly intro yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Yes. How you doing? Good to see you, Adam. Good to see you, Han. Interested to hear that you got my name wrong. Uh, meeting me about 20 times in person. Enjoyed seeing Alex's beard. That was nice. Also, in the comments section, I know there was a lot of negativity around your email, but my sister is called Karen. So um, when received, I just assumed it had been sent to the wrong person. Um, so I'm Robin Stander. I'm, I'm Vice President of Sales at Appcast. Um, I, I was brought into Appcast to um, lead our growth with um, high-volume enterprise companies. Um, my background is um, I spent 11 years with TotalJobs.com. I was head of international sales, so I've worked in what I would deem to be the traditional or tenured-based advertising model. And in 2016, I um, set up ZipRecruiter's UK business, which is obviously the, the next step in the process as we move towards cost per click. Um, ZipRecruiter obviously did a very, very good job in the United States. They, they adopt more of an aggregation model here in the UK. And then been with AppCast for almost three years now, and everything is going very well. Fantastic stuff. I've, I've invited the wrong Josh. I've now invited the right Josh. Thank you, wrong Josh, for not accepting that invite. It would have been, it would have been great to have you, but basically um, uh, <laughs> uh, we've got the right Josh in here now. Okay, great. He, he, he's, he's invited the wrong Josh. He got your name wrong. And actually the last thing he said to me when I saw him on, on Wednesday in person was, um, he's getting he's getting worse for remembering people's names and getting people's names wrong. You know what? I think it's early onset dementia. I gotta be honest. Um, it, it, it's it's there's a problem with my memory. It always has been. It's getting worse. So I need I need to really you know do sure. brain stimulation or something like mushrooms. Maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, the cod liver oil at the moment. Cod liver oil, yeah, absolutely. Get some better sleep. All that stuff has to be. Yeah, I think Karen should be default invite. If if you're Karen, if your first name is Karen, would you just come on? Uh, you open invite anytime. Um, all right. Um, whilst Josh is getting ready, getting on. Um, uh, Robin, just give us a quick overview. Programmatic advertising. Can you give us like for the people who don't know what this is? Give us like the sixty second version of this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you think about job boards, um, how they've existed for the last 23 years, you've got traditional duration or tenure based advertising, whereby you would post a defined number of jobs within a defined period of time, and you would pay a defined cost for that. At the end of a given advertising month, irrespective of the outcome, so irrespective of whether you've received one application, no applications, or you've made 10 hires, the invoice is payable in full. Indeed changed that business model when they moved to something called cost per click. And obviously there's been a phenomenal about, amount of noise about that in the last 24 hours and the direction they're potentially going in. Um, programmatic advertising from our perspective at Abcast is the, the evolution of that model whereby we do cost per completed apply, 
which is applications delivered directly into the ATS. And that is um, whereby you connect or you build an integration with the ATS and then you use data um, to inform the software about the best places to buy traffic from. And so if ZipRecruiter is driving applications that in turn convert down funnel into interviews and hires, then the software would deem that to be a good source of traffic and it would proportionally spend more budget with that source. And it would start to take budget away from the sources that are underperforming based on the rules and the bids that we put into the system. But it's about yeah. taking an automated approach to your buying rather than using bias in the decision-making process. Yeah, yeah, it's taking the human out of it to a large degree. You set a budget. Um, it basically you got a lot of distribution, and it's from that distribution that you figure out which is the best channels that are converting for you. Wherever you decide that conversion makes sense, um, and then basically it will reallocate budget to where it's working most effectively. It seems to me like a no-brainer, um, yes. but but it's it's it seems that. Um, you know, adoption isn't particularly high um, and it's been sticking at the, you know, sub 10% type of range for a long time. So Robin, give us an overview this year, 2023. Um, how has it gone? I mean, has it sort of, have we increased adoption programmatic? Has it reduced? What degree has it uh, sort of been adopted in the UK at the very least? Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, hi Josh. Um, I'm going to use made up numbers here. Um, but if you went back 12 months, we would be having this same conversation and I would have told you that I was building momentum in the marketplace. As we move forward 12 months, we are fully engaged. And what we're finding is, certainly from our perspective, is that recruiters are calling out for this type of um, approach to market. So the market has shifted. We've been in a very, very tight labor market where there's been an, um, a lot of vacancies available and not enough candidates to meet the demands of those vacancies. As a result, recruiters have been reaching out to us in significant numbers. So the amount of inbound requests we've had has far outstripped what we had in the previous two years. And people seem genuinely more interested in taking a more data-based um, data approach to their advertising. Um, so we're having lots and lots of conversations and the adoption is significant versus where we were previously. This is generally with high volume hiring companies. We're also getting a lot of inbound interest from small to medium sized companies, which maybe programmatic probably isn't the right fit for. But in the high volume is pace is, is gathered a lot of pace. If you look at the US market where we're founded and we've been going since 2014, one third of all job ad spend in the US now runs through AppCast platform. So it's fully engaged. Everybody's doing it. Madeline Lerano, who I quote a lot from Aptitude Research, um, she did a report about six months ago and she said that 62% of companies that she surveyed are looking to increase um, their investment in programmatic advertising 2024. So it feels like all guns blazing right now. Cool. Uh, folks, in the comments section, wherever you're watching this, let me know what your thoughts are on programmatic. Have you used it this year? Do you intend to use it or put any budget onto it next year? Just say yes uh, or no to that. those questions. I'd be very interested to know what the general vibe is here. Um, Josh, great to see you. Thanks for persevering, man. Um, <laughs> uh, why don't you quickly introduce yourself, Josh? Who are you? What is you do? 
Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Josh Willows. I've worked in job advertising or recruitment advertising for, for over a decade. But if we just focus on 2023, I had a couple of different jobs in the same industry. So I started the year in TA uh, where I was working um, I'm responsible for global job advertising at IBM. I'm now vendor side at Veritone Hire where I'm head of programmatic sales. Veritone Hire, probably a new name for everyone on the call. It should be because it's only a couple of weeks old. But basically, Veritone have purchased uh, a couple of businesses in the job advertising space, notably PandaLogic and Broadbean. So whether it's traditional or programmatic advertising, we have a platform that combines the two. That's amazing, man. Um, I mean, it, it's because you've seen it from two sides this year, haven't you, Josh? In a sense, obviously in-house at IBM and, and now vendor side. Um, how have you seen the, the year in programmatic, so to say, if you could describe sort of, if you could give us a bit of a, your own verdict over the last 12 months in, on the industry, what, how, what would you say? I was going to say, I was going to, it was so bleak at the beginning, I was going to try and inject some positivity, but um, I think I would look at it as kind of tough for a lot of vendors in the programmatic space. I mean, there was a simple fact that there was less jobs in 2023 advertising than there was in 2022. That's going to hurt everybody because that's is that a hard fact? Basically, absolute number of job jobs advertised is, is has gone down this year compared to last. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the number of job roles, pick your market, US, UK. We had a big boom right in 2021, first half of 2022. This has really been coming from the second half of 2022. But yes, there's less job numbers that are advertised now. On the flip side, and this is where I'm going to try and be positive. There's been more applications per job, and we've seen that trend going up. So. The obvious thing being more candidates on the market, that leads to more candidates applying for jobs. So when you look at it, and I'm going to try and spin a positive, if you're an employer, what that means is when there's more candidates applying, the CPC or the CPA, it goes down, right? So it's a fact, really, that if you advertise a job today, you will <clears> get more <throat> candidates from your money than you would have done at the same point in 2022. Those prices have come down slightly. If mm -hmm. I look at it... Um, from an employer and being um, a large employer that lent more into programmatic advertising this year. Um, I think that I was really looking at it from my perspective for, for two, in two reasons. So I look at it first of all for kind of simplicity. So I love traditional job boards. I've worked for traditional job boards and we still think that they have their place, but we all know that if you use more than one, it's a very unregulated market. You've got to set up tracking for each individual one. They have different pricing structures. That was one side of it. But given the market we're in, and let's be frank, for most businesses, it's a tough market. It was the agility that was kind of the real sell that like senior corporate people in, in IBM bought into. The reason being, right, if I work on a more like credit-based board, then I'm tied into that. I have to commit to a certain amount. I have to use that inventory. If I don't have the jobs to fill them, I lose them. If you have something like programmatic and I need to hire salespeople in the US in January, but that switches and I need uh, tech developers in the UK in April, doesn't matter. You just kind of route the money wherever you need it. So it's kind of like a special ops that you can go out. And um, I used to just use the phrase like turning the tap on, turn the tap off. If you need candidates, turn the tap on. When you're done, turn it off. And that's one other thing that I think is underplayed sometimes. Like credit-based boards, the biggest strength is you can put a job on them. And if you get 50 applicants or 5,000 applicants, you pay the same amount. Now in a market where we have under-resourced teams, actually sometimes turning the tap off is what we need to do because we have too many candidates applying for the jobs and we need to be able to have a way to assess them properly and respond properly. So 
those are a couple of the things that I saw from the in-house side that I think made a real difference. You know what? Really interesting. Uh, the the programmatic um, uh, uh, advertising as as more companies adopt it, um, the will, will it be more accurate representation of what, how many jobs are out there. Because generally speaking, you can switch jobs on and off more efficiently. Whereas if you're time based or duration based, how many of those jobs are actually technically filled, but the job's still hanging on in there? Yeah, you, you haven't manually gone and deleted it. Uh, most people just like run it to term and, and, and you know, leave it to go. Um, it's the same with CVs. Like if you've applied for, a, if you banged your, your CV up on a job board and you've got a job, you don't go to every job board you've gone to and start deleting it off. You just leave it. Um, and so you've got a lot of dodgy data out there um, that every, every analyst is reading and thinking, oh, yeah, that's an active candidate or there's an active job. Actually, it may not be. Um, so programmatic, as the adoption improves, so should uh, the intelligence. It will be a better source for us to understand the health of the market uh, as more people use it. Um, very, very interesting. Um, okay, cool. Um, what else? We've got to talk about sort of, um, let's talk briefly about some of the um, uh, the cost per application issues. I think what terrifies people generally is exactly that sense. Um, it's like, um, all right, great. Um, maybe I'll be wasting 500 quid on this job ad, but I know it's 500 quid. Um, it's not going to be a case where suddenly it scales out to 10 grand or something because I've just had an overwhelming ad response. And, and in fact, that's actually one of the criticisms uh, of Indeed's kind of experimentation with uh, cost per application. Um, and we're going to talk to Jeff a, a little bit about that when he comes on. Uh, and we know, of, of course, they've abandoned that now. But one of the very early uh, complaints that they received was that companies were used to paying this amount of money for a job and then they they turn up like 24 hours later and it's actually banged them for several thousand and they said what the heck is this um so people i think have that residual fear of this how do how do we resolve that is has the education improved in terms of how we deal with it has the customer service improved uh, to help people avoid this situation yeah yeah i mean there's the, the approach that well if you look at the cost per click model there is obviously a phenomenal amount of wastage in that process. So you advertise a relatively junior level role and you get hundreds of clicks. But the scenario is obviously you don't need hundred click, hundreds of clicks on a junior level role. You just need 10 good quality clicks that result in three good quality applications. You make the hire. And then conversely, you've got your software engineers and your Java developers and they haven't received any clicks at all. So there's a disproportionate use of the client's budget. That's changed, certainly in the last 24 months, towards a more um, strategic approach where people are putting rules into the software based on previous learning and based on previous data to say, listen, we only need to receive 10 applications for this role. And therefore, at the point in which the job hits 10 applications, stop spending money on it. And the job automatically switches itself off and it moves the residual budget towards the jobs that haven't received the appropriate number of applications. Now that can be done within the software, but it can also be done with the support of an account manager, a performance marketing expert who will control the performance of the account for you. So there's that. From our perspective, we obviously do cost per application, which is whereby you track to the candidate to the point on which they've clicked on the thank you, made it through to the thank you page. And there is obviously a risk, as again, obviously we've seen everything going on in the marketplace with, with bots and so on, um, that you're just going to get a load of irrelevant applications. So what we're trying to do is move to a more quality-focused approach, which is whereby we track down funnel metrics. 
So although the invoicing mechanism is still cost per application, you're tracking things like cost per interview, volume of interviews, cost per offer, number of offers, hire, and so on. And you can do that with integrating with lots of the big ATSs like Workday, with iSIMS, Success Factors, Greenhouse, Smart Recruiters, and so on. So the market is catching up quickly when I'm having, I'm sure Josh will be the same, when he's having conversations with customers. This is all very new to people. And so they're in a process where they're still using tenure or they're still using cost per click. And then we're having a conversation about measuring down funnel metrics all the way through to hire. So it's trying to close that gap. And everybody is very receptive to it. And when they understand that actually the integration with the ATS is relatively straightforward, there's not really much work involved in the process, then it's relatively easy to obtain. I think we've we've basically failed to educate the market. I feel um, I, I feel that we've been banging on at this for for several years now, and it's still a mystery. Ed, by the way, I totally feel the same. People do have that fear because they may they don't want to stick a credit card in, and then you know the experiences, the worst experiences, that scales out. Now you're saying it doesn't happen, but the residual fear is there, so it's not being resolved. That's not being removed from from the perception of the market. Um, you know what I think. A chat, an AI interface might solve the problem here. Because um, part of the problem is that people are looking at a complicated dashboard and they just want to look at another dashboard they don't understand. It's like, just give people an input to say exactly as you say, here's a job, my budget for this, for 10 candidates is that, that's the minimum, switch it off when it hits that number and then talk to me again if I want to switch it back on again. Boom, that'll scale up the amount of adoption by a long stretch. Uh, so it's a UI issue in my opinion. Um, yep. And I'd be interested to know whether, actually, it's another topic of conversation, whether that's going to be reinvented in some way. But uh, but there we go. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it's just also understanding that, a, well, 12 months ago, people were considering programmatic advertising as like a dark art. And it's obviously a software-based um, approach to the market as well. And so it's not about working with a customer and then just leaving them to their own devices and letting them make a load of mistakes. It's about holding their hand through the process. Us or Veritone or, or anyone else in the market are the experts in handling the technology. And thus we set the rules, we set the bids to ensure that they get good outcomes and the run of the spend doesn't run away and people don't have to wake up in the middle of the night worrying about it. Yeah, very good. Okay, Josh, final words to you. Go ahead. You're going to say something anyway. Yeah, I was just actually going to elaborate exactly what, what Robin said is right. I think um, something that a lot of people i think hang too much on one metric right so different ones that you can take different metrics and they can mean a different thing but all, all of them are gonna um contribute towards you having a better job advertising process so let me explain what i mean cost per click versus cost per apply well if you're getting loads of clicks and no applications that tells you your job advert isn't very good because you're not converting if your application uh, starts application complete is bad it means you've got a long apply process if your application to um, shortlist isn't very good, it means you're not getting quality. So all of those tell a slightly different story. And part of the job that you have to be able to do is rather than come into um, high level stakeholders and say, our CPC or our CPA, I must have explained what an apply start was a thousand times right? <laughs> across my time. So trying to take that into actionable insights is when you then become a bit more strategic in house mm -hmm. and get a bit more of the kind of senior level stakeholders on your side.
Yeah, I'd be interested to know what kind of um, educational stuff you guys do for, for 2024. But that's the conversation for next year. We have to move on, folks, because we're rattling through this. Um, so Robin Stander and Josh Willows, thank you for joining us and talking to us about programmatic for this year. Um, mm. Okay, let's crack through, um, folks, as I'm going to get on. Actually, we're going to get on Louise Tryons um, and, uh, and Jeff uh, Dickie Chasins, of course. Um, the legend that is. I think this is the debut... Uh, for, the, for, for Jeff, the job board doctor. Um, let's see whether we can make this work. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about classic job boards with these with these two. Um, you know, what is going on in the in the job board world? Um, we've been like kind of, uh, I think Louise is not even here. Um, oh, yeah, she mentioned she might actually be unable to attend. Um, all right, she's here. I'm going to invite her. I don't think Louise is actually here, but that's okay. Um, oh, there he is. Hey. Jeff, how are you doing? Long time no see, sir. Very nice to see you. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you, uh, you were drunk. And uh, I was, was too. Long, that was a long time <laughs> ago, man. Considering I've now like gone completely teetotal, we can actually timestamp when that was um, a long, <laughs> long time ago. Uh, but it was great. Next time you're in London, I'm more than happy to have another uh, glass of wine with you, uh, Jeff. Um, Jeff, for the people who don't know you, can you uh, quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Sure. Uh, I run a consultancy called The Job Board Doctor. I am a business consultant. I work with job boards around the world and have been doing so since 2009. I got in the industry in 97 with this company called Dice. And, you know, I work with job boards everywhere. I've probably worked with about 700 or so job boards around the world over the last 14 years. Amazing. You're the best person to talk to about this. And Louise, I think she's is she's in transit. She can't join us right now, but no worries. Um, if you're if you get this uh, and you want to drop in, Louise, just uh, just let me know. Um, okay, it, this is all about reviewing the last twelve months in in the world of job boards. Uh, Jeff, how would you describe the main things that have happened? The general trend, the general you know uh, uh, amount of spend, the amount of activity that's gone on in that space. Uh, well, I think you can easily say that a lot of job boards would like to forget about 2023 uh, after having had a bang up 2022. Um, it was a it was a tough year, particularly the first half. Um, I would say that overall, most job boards experienced a drop in revenue and activity of anywhere from 20 to 35%, which is pretty significant. Um, at this point in time, a lot of job boards are reporting uh, upturns and some are back to where they were in 2022 um but you know it was it was definitely it was pretty bad i mean there were you know you, you saw layoffs from the biggest job boards out there from ZipRecruiter and indeed and linkedin um so you know from that from that perspective it was kind of a tough year it's interesting uh 2023 was sort of bracketed by indeed uh, at the start of the year, Indeed was coming out saying, hey, you know what, paper application uh, is what you're going to have to buy from us. It's the future of, of, uh, of job advertising. And um, they rolled it out. There was a lot of unhappy customers. And then they sort of backed off a little bit and said, okay, well, you can keep buying pay-per-click if you want to, but we really, really, really want you to buy uh, you know, paper application. And then they laid off a bunch of people, their revenue went down, their job postings went down. Um, and then of course, yesterday we discovered that um, they have decided that they're going to eliminate 
paper application, and they called it a test, which was not what they were calling it back in January of 2023. So they kind of covered us on both ends. And then, of course, I cannot forget to mention that X decided to launch their incredible job board product. And I think there's been much that's been written about it. It's it's really stunning. I Sometimes I just look at it and, you know, just get shivers going up and down my spine. Um, it's horrible and it's probably going to crash and burn in the next six months would be my guess. And then finally, Alex talked about uh, Google Jobs, so I won't. I'll just say that they continue to tease us with all these things that they're going to do. And maybe some of that will happen, but I personally, and I've said this at, uh, in other settings, uh, I personally don't see it as a negative thing for job boards in general. It's just gonna be another avenue for them to use and also for large you know, enterprise level um, employers. Yeah, really good overview. Jeff, Jeff just ahead, a quick Dad. question. Quick question about, about what you said about Twitter. So um, I've seen it as well and, and yeah, it doesn't look particularly sophisticated, but you can't really underestimate the power of the traffic. So they've got considerably more people going there than 99% of job boards. Mm -hmm. Does that give them an advantage? It's, you know, it's an interesting situation. I mean, uh, expand what's going on with Twitter at the top level on advertising with with the job postings, right? Uh, there's major advertisers that are fleeing X because it's become sort of the cesspool of, uh, you know, bad things. And it doesn't look like there's going to be any attempt to try to rein that in. And I suspect that if you're an employer, and particularly, you know, a name brand employer, you, I'm not sure you want to have your job ads appearing on the platform. You know, if Disney. you're unwilling to advertise your company there, why would you advertise your job ads? And I think that's, you know, that's the biggest conundrum. And then I think the other problem is uh, they probably are going to suffer a little bit from the problem that Facebook had, which is they don't understand recruiting. And so they will have trouble creating a recruiting product unless they just wholesale, you know, buy someone that knows what they're you know, buys a company that does that for a living. So on that note, I think you're right on the job ads. I don't think Twitter will be or X as they now call it, um, is is gonna be an effective way to distribute jobs simply because they've got no data on this um, and you know, how they're going to actually connect people that might be looking for work they don't know however I think it might become a decent um, a decent search product because I think some latest release they're saying they're going to start doing things like expanded profiles and being able to search profiles and stuff like this so I think the uh, audience members who are kind of more of the sourcing mindset might look at Twitter again and, and think, you know what, this could be a place to actually hunt folks out. Um, but yeah, you're right. But going back on the timeline, um, basically, in, indeed, have nicely bookended us, haven't they, with a big, big, big bang launch uh, that they have rolled back at the end of the year. So it's been a 12 month, probably quite a painful 12 months, in fact, very painful 12 months because they've had to make um, cutbacks also and they've rolled this big thing out, hopefully, uh, I think in an attempt to kind of get a win for this year. It has not been a win and they've rolled it back. So uh, tough year all around for job boards. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Any any bright sort of sort of silver linings have you seen this year? That You know, anything in the job board world that you thought, you know what? Yes, um, this is impressive. <laughs> um, feel free to continue to be miserable, Jeff. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I think it's interesting. You know, I primarily uh, work with niche boards. You know, I don't work with the Indeed's the world generally. Sometimes I do in certain countries. Um, and so I think, 
you know, what we saw here was sort of a bifurcation of the market where the generalist sites really suffered uh, because they were so tied to high growth markets and because they really depend on volume. And so if you mess with the volume, it really screws you up. The, the niche boards, um, it really depended on the niche. And so there were certain niches where I literally, I would talk to people in a certain niche and they'd say, yeah, you know, we're having a great year. And others say, oh, you know, the first three months was horrible. Now we're having a wonderful year, you know? And so it really just depends on where you're working. Um, and, and also what kind of board are you? I mean, are you a, like a really boring traditionalist board where the only thing you do is you have duration based postings and nothing else? you probably had a sucky year. Uh, if you if you're one of those sites that uh, sort of has more content, it's more content driven, it's more interactive, it's got more engagement with its candidates. Um, you probably had a good year. Uh, you know, people left and then they came back because they were coming back for multiple reasons. So, yeah. Jeff George Larocque was on here last week and showed um, what uh, where 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 investment in HR tech has gone this year, and as normal. Uh, investment into TA tech's been massively dominated by job boards and, and marketplaces. Um, would, have you got any predictions around innovation for the, the next year or so? Um, I would say that most of the innovation, and I hesitate even really to call it innovation because it's been going on for a couple of years now, but I think uh, most of it's going to be happening with uh, generative AI, uh, chat chatbot type things. Uh, there's a number of boards out there that have already instituted things that help with candidate onboarding, with candidate uh, adoption of certain products that that they want them to be using, like a job alert, for example, or you know, going into a newsletter, or doing an assessment, or anything like that. Um, and then we may possibly see some of that leak over into the employer side, but I have a feeling that most of that sort of stuff is going to be happening instead with the ATSs and some of the recruitment platforms rather than the job boards. Although there are some job boards that get very deep into this. They have their own ATSs, they have their own assessments, et cetera, et cetera. But they've been doing that for years. So, Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Jeff, listen, we have to move on. Wonderful to see you. Um, mm -hmm. I believe making your debut on Brave View Live. I can't actually believe we, we it's taken us 236 episodes to get you on as disgrace. Uh, so particularly as we were on direct dial, right? There's no reason why this is taking so long. Um, so we're going to have to do it and bring you back early next year. Maybe we do a forecast on what the job market is looking like uh, for 2024. Uh, but sure. Jeff Dickey Chasen, it's great to see you. We'll let you go at this point, sir. Thank you very much. Cool, cool. We've got to move swiftly on, folks. But before we do it, um, we are always going to make sure that we are leaving this conversation with more connections than we ever have uh, before we have entered it, uh, because we want to make sure that you guys have the conversation or the ability to continue to talk about this after we come off air, which needs to happen in 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, so take a moment. Grab your LinkedIn URL. Share it in the comment thread if you're watching it on, on Crowdcast or share it in the comment thread, no matter where you're watching it on LinkedIn, and then make sure you connect with everyone else who's done the same. Uh, there's hundreds of people watching this in different sort of spaces. You should emerge from this with at least you know, 20, 30, 40 uh, really good connections that can help boost your network into 2024. And by the way, if you just turned up every week and literally just did just that, uh, you can count the number of uh, uh, sort of connections you might be making, um, all of whom are 
people who are super passionate about the space um and some of whom as ed mentioned some of the the, the rock stars of the industry um so this really helps you get to where you need to go um okay cool um let's we're going to shift tack because we're going to go to employer branding uh vicky charu and steve you've been very patient we're going to bring you all on one uh panel now um and we're going to uh, we're going to have a talk about what's happening in EB this year. Uh, let me see if I can find the people. Um, so, Charu Malotra, there she is. Let's invite Charu. Boom. Uh, we've got Steve Ward, I believe. Is Steve, you are here. Is he here? Yes, he is. And we've got Vicky as well. Let's see if I can find Vicky. Uh, Vicky Saunders, there she is. Nice, cool. Let's talk about EB. In fact, whilst we get people on, um, do you have any thoughts on employer branding for this year, particularly Adam? It's hard to do EB when you're sacking people, um, or when you're not growing. Do you think we've gone backwards? Are we in stasis? What's your view? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we probably are. It's the same thing as you know, diversity matters when everything's going great. Marketing team matters when everything's going great. Employer brand matters when everything's going great. Unfortunately, employer brand is probably about the most important thing um, that a chief people officer should be focused on. And um, it's not up there at the top of that person's list. Right. So that so there's there's Adam's uh, amateurish uh, opinion, but I do respect it um, because I think it may be true. Like, is employer has it been like deprioritized in this very tough year when everyone's saying we've got to just you know be operationally efficient, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Let before we get into the chat, let's introduce everyone though. Um, let's go left to right as I see it. Uh, Charu, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yep. Hi. Thanks. Uh, I'm Charu Malhotra. I've worked in recruitment marketing and employer branding for about 15 years now. Uh, worked at uh, Primark, Ferrero, McKinsey, and I'm currently at PA Consulting doing DEI, recruitment marketing, employer brand um, on a global basis. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Great to see you, Charu. And we've got Vicky Saunders as well. Vicky, can you quickly intro yourself for you, what it is you do? Hi, yeah, I'm Vicky Saunders. I've been leading the employer brand and EVP teams at Boots, BA Systems and Courage for the last 10 years. I'm now the founder of the EVP Consultancy and the Employer Brand Coach. Amazing. Um, great to see you, Vicky. And what, what a wonderful conservatory you have as well, by the way. Uh, and can I, uh, and it's Steve Ward as well. Steve, quickly introduce yourself. Who are you? What it is you do? Hey, my, my background looks terrible compared to the others, doesn't it? I should, I should do better. Mate, mate, your, your foreground looks terrible, Steve. Worry about that first. <laughs> well, that's the problem as well, isn't it, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, so look, I'm Steve Ward. Hey, everyone. I'm, um, I head up employee branding solutions for Universum, uh, world's largest global uh, job um, employee branding agency. Our talent traction and branding has been my thing for years. I love it. It's the best, it's the best bit of recruitment. So um, so yes, that's what I do. Uh, and really looking forward to chatting about this stuff with some couple of my sub superstars um, sat alongside me here. I love Vicky and Sharu. I've listened to them all day. Fantastic stuff. And we've lost Adam Gordon, um, which of course is always a bonus. Um, so no, um, but you know what? Let's, let's take it back up on what Adam mentioned before he, he, he stepped away. Um, EB has it kind of have, have we seen the reality of EB in the sense that it has been de deprioritized this year? You think, I mean, Cherry, you're nodding your head there. So, what are you, what are you seeing on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Adam, which doesn't normally happen. So someone, I'm glad this is going live. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think organisations have largely thought about employer branding in the space for recruitment. Um, and when recruitment so stop, start and can be quite paralysed by what's going on in the world, you know, it, it, it's really easy to deprioritise it. Um, and I've seen that. Um, and I think it's interesting is it the right thing to do absolutely not but i would say that um so one of your colleagues said earlier uh about it not being like a tap when they're talking about programmatic and that's the danger of when we look at employer branding like that you don't switch it on and off so at, um, i've been doing some kind of research this week um around taylor swift and how successful she's been and i've wanted to interject some of that when you ask the question um but i do think that's sort of turning on and off of employer branding is a massive mistake um and it's it's quite dangerous, um, and, I, and I don't say that lightly. Why is it a mistake, Charu? Why is it a mistake? Well, we are all going, always going to want to be looking for people, um, and employer branding isn't external. Good employer branding professionals, and I include everyone on this call and people watching, look at it internally from a retention perspective. You'll have a whole half, you know, half as people in, internally that are disengaged if you don't think about it as an employer branding internal exercise. You don't want disengaged, unproductive, unhappy people who feel handcuffed to their job and they end up being disruptive in, in lots of different ways. So I think it's a mistake when you switch off employer branding. Yeah. So this is connecting employer branding with general care for company culture um, and, and not forgetting, actually, if you're not growing or you're cutting staff, actually, that's when you need to apply more care um because that's when people are feeling more stressed and uncomfortable and generally uh, high anxiety um okay vicky let's go to you on this um what's your perspective on where eb has been in 2023 has it has it been like a, a, an awfully dry desert like what's your view uh, of where we're at as an industry here i, I think there are some green shoots of, of things that are happening um i think advocacy has has totally ramped up the agenda this year probably probably if we're honest because of budget cuts in employer branding and so it, the the perception is that you can do that relatively successfully without too much cost but i do think there is some nice experimentation starting to happen in employer branding so one of the things that i've seen is um a, a trend that's been happening in consumer marketing in emotional advertising has started to move over into into employer branding, right? Um, the the top awards that Charu and I gave out, not just the two of us, but we were both Rad Award judges last year, and we gave awards for Cap Gemini was Work of the Year, and Veolia was um, Best Integrated Campaign, and they were both campaigns that brought people in the room to tears in in the judges um, room. And that is, is, is definitely come across from um, consumer marketing. If you, if you follow um, a guy called Andrew Tyndall on LinkedIn, he, he's um, MD, I think, of System One, and they're one of the biggest measure, uh, measuring houses of advertising. And they've done this amazing work looking at emotional response to advertising and the impact that has short and long-term on, on business outcomes. And they've been able to correlate in advertising where the ads have lower emotional response, they call it left brain advertising, that it only has a short term impact on the brand. But if it has right brain impact, um, which typically includes emotions, human connections, storytelling, which is all the stuff we know works for em employer branding, 
then it has both short-term impact and long-term impact. So we, we see this right now, right? It's all on TV. So the top ad uh, for the Christmas ads that's come out is, is the Elf. You know, Asda have done their Elf here in the UK, and that's that's top of the ranking. But small stuff like Charlie's Bar and, and the Skillin, if anybody's seen that, if you haven't, look it up. It, it went absolutely viral on, on TikTok, and it only cost them around 700 quid to make. Um, and it, we've also seen it with nostalgia marketing this year. It's the same emotional stuff. So Disney did this like mashup piece that looked at all of the, you know, different films they've made over the years and, and how it's connected with people's lives. And literally this week, Kellogg's have brought back uh, their old Christmas ad where there's the, the Kellogg's cornflakes underneath the Christmas tree. That's 23 years old and they're re-airing it, you know. So it, there's definitely this green shoot of that emotional advertising coming across into employer branding and I, it's music to my ears because it plays totally to what we what we know works in employer branding which is about that human connection that's amazing and i love the term nostalgia advertising i'm kind of thinking yes because i'm old enough now to have tons of nostalgia <laughs> so <laughs> not material um uh, but, first time round right <laughs> yeah exactly and this nostalgia twice twice but secondly i think that um bit of research you mentioned from system one would be amazing if that's publicly available anywhere please do share that yeah, around yeah, well. yeah, yeah yeah if, if people want to want that research let me know in the comments um and we'll get it over to you um brain food facebook group shall i or just stick it in the comments here as well yeah. uh vicky that'll be yeah. fine yeah. Um, okay go to you um uh steve as, as a you've got the helicopter view to a large degree because obviously universal we're covering tons of stuff across you know different markets globally as well so where where have you seen how would you describe eb for 2023 as if you could kind of give it a, a one paragraph summary there's a reason why the two things that Sharu and Vicky have just talked about are absolutely spot on. Um, keep, keeping the tap on and the emotional piece. That's exactly, if I was to capture a trend, the things I wrote down here were up and down, up and down, employee brand, stop, 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 stop. A bit like people were talking about the job ads earlier. It's like when you stop, you kind of stop doing it. So, and it's almost like some companies stop employee branding when they stop advertising um, because they stop, because they have got a bit of a hiring they think I, I guess you don't need to bother with employer branding anymore and that then links us then to what vicky's talking about about emotions and connection the biggest trends this year have come out of the facts it started with tech having a pretty shocking time at the start of the year big tech big redundancies etc cetera, etc cetera. now what we've noticed in the research part of our work which have, which would have happened in the first half of this year is lack of love towards tech companies so their appreciation of the ideal and top employers drop back. Then we start to look at where do they go instead? So if people drop out of that pond, where do they go instead to get? And there are two pulls given what happened. One is trust and emotion. And the other one is stability. Now, stability is probably a really obvious one. Like we all need a bit more stability, no doubt, because, of course, there is, you know, we're in a world of flux and change and challenge and, and financial challenges. But the emotion and the human element is really important in the shift. And the trust is the bit I'm always going to put behind it, because what we saw since COVID is a breakdown of trust between the employer and the employee. And that is only exacerbated by 
redundancies, redundancy, broken promises, what feels like to the average employee broken promises. So therefore, where does employer brand start? It doesn't start with advertising, it starts with what's going on inside the organization and how we as employers engage with our employees in a way that therefore creates, and I would say emotion has absolutely become one of those important stories in that, in the midst of that, but largely as well, what we've noticed the shift this year, and, and Vicky will see this a lot in the work that she does now as well with, with EVP consultancy, a lot of the EVPs are now looking inwardly focused first with a consequence to externally focused after, rather than it being, we're creating an EVP to attract talent. We're creating now an EVP to consolidate our, our culture, our identity, our bloodline, our, and hopefully the goal within that is to bring our people together, to hold people um, inside the organization, to great, gain better relationship between the leadership and employees, um, and then build stories out of that. And they, I can tell you, uh, are the best stories, the stories that come inside. So, those of us are in areas where we do copywriting. Copywriting can never capture what an employee story in their words absolutely feels like. And I think that's the shift I've seen. Less EVP and employer branding for outside world first, more towards inside consolidation culture. And then that gives you an amazing platform for outside uh, communication without it feeling like it's a sell. I love that Ben Phillips, who last time I was on this, he was on this with me uh, this week on, on a panel at our employer branding club, said, um, he said, I, I consider employer brand to be the reveal. Like we open the door and people, and I love that word. I, I used another word here in the day, I think it's like surprise, but actually reveal, I think is a really good. And I think that reveal layer is, is one of the things I've seen the most in the work that we've done this year. And I think it's, I think it's really exciting for employer brands, much more ethical and humane potentially, if done correctly. No, that's really, really well put. Um, and it seems that that's a maturation of EB, isn't it? Um, so, so moving away from the idea of producing um, a, a EB as, as marketing collateral for external consumption, uh, mm. but more uh, thinking about how, how, do you, how do we codify or art, uh, articulate what company culture is, and then mm. simply externalizing that, just putting a window where there used to be a brick wall, um, yeah. and then allowing people to see through this is how we work as a business and and allowing that to be a magnetic process rather than pushing it into bit and that's what you learn a lot about even the job board world you know we've been hearing about in the first segment of this the evolution of job boards is not about blasting everything in front of everybody's eyes it's about how do you create a natural connection of the right people right places smaller funnels rather than big ones and i think it's the same with employer branding is that if you with a very authentic outwardly facing piece of content you connect the right people not the wrong people and it's and and rather than just sell and i think that's this difference we were talking about this week in the eb club is just remove the cell open the doors and and let people make a choice for themselves in a really much more defined and acceptable way uh, a more magnetic it, way it reinforces for me a question which i've i've asked a lot of times and i don't know if this is a cliche and i don't know if everybody asks this question but why are um why are employer branding teams and employee engagement teams split? Why, why is there not one person responsible for both? Well, the reason for it is because employer branding teams tend to be part of talent acquisition and employee mm -hmm. engagement teams tend to be in a different part of HR or possibly comms. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's it. a HRTA split, isn't it? I mean, it's it's like internal comms definitely is not part of TA, never has really been. And the debate is, should it be? Um, maybe with all of this, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, company uh, consolidation, cost cutting and, and what have you, we might get a chance to, to, to more rationally align a lot of these functions and reformulate what these need to be. Um, and it could well be that a lot of the things you uh, sort of you mentioned, Steve, uh, have been an inadvertent impact on cutting budget per se. Uh, like you can imagine if a company or an EB person had mega budget to do something, they might be so excited, they immediately thinking externalization and all this that type of stuff. Um, but now if there's like really, uh, you've been shown back, you got to think, okay, what can we do a little bit more organically? It might inherently be a bit more authentic because you can't chuck that much money towards it. Um, yeah. To that point, Hung, just to come back to what Steve was saying about the reveal, you know, the reveal of the internal culture externally. One of the other green shoots I've seen this year is is in the use of TikTok, right? So TikTok has, has obviously it's been growing massively, um, but I'm seeing more and more employer brands start to use TikTok, either through their own voice or actually from an advocacy point of view. Um, and that is a place where if you show up with a poli too polished content, it dies, right? It has to be really authentic. Google did some great work um, where some of their work, it was people walking through their daily lives at work as part of their employer branding activity. And that, that worked really, really well for them. But it is definitely a platform to watch for employer brands um, and, and, and one that we need to harness. Um, it, not just because of that opportunity from an authenticity point of view, but also just because it is, is changing so much about our content um, consumption. So it's changing the way we view videos. We're watching longer videos now. Um, Instagram is still sticking at 60 seconds and half of people on TikTok watch films over a minute long, you know, and they keep adding the, the lengths that you can get to. So um, just this year now, they've added up to, you can get up to 15 minutes. Um, from October this year, you can some users can show 15-minute films now on TikTok. And the other thing is, it makes sense from a job ads point of view. Everyone starts a job search on Google, right? We all know that's where people start. But actually, TikTok is starting to take share from Google for search, particularly in Gen Z, right? So three quarters of Gen Z are saying they are using TikTok for search. So if we want to be after Gen Z from a recruitment marketing point of view as well, TikTok's the place to be. And it's cheap to do, isn't it? There's another thing that is definitely the reason why things go mass market is because of the ease factor. Um, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about YouTube versus TikTok. YouTube prior to TikTok was the only place where you could do video. But of course, that's a desktop phenomenon. You need to have setup, you need to have camera, you need to have production, et cetera, et cetera. Guess how many people have that? Actually, a very small number of people. Whereas TikTok obviously just need a smartphone, and like billions of people have that. Um, so it's about accessibility and making it simple. I'd be interested. I mean, obviously, we we kind of annually we do how to recruit on uh, kind of platform. So no doubt we'll do that um, for TikTok as well going forward in 2024. Uh, but as we're really running, go on, in, Adam. You about to say something? I'm just gonna just gonna say it. It also leads me to to the thinking about well, what's after that then? Because Gen Alpha use chat chat gpt and bard uh more than than google and more than anything else for search so um 
What's it, the EB implications where does that of NAI? Go? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a really, to be honest with you, you just, we've just nailed the topic of conversation for uh, 2024 because we do know that actually the primary use case for generative AI today is in media creation, um, whether it's text, video, image, whatever. So it'd be really interesting to know whether we've got any examples or case studies of companies that have used it in this way. Um, that's been effective because we also know if you fake something, um, which you can do so, um, it doesn't work. So quite right, Josh. I mean, AI and authentic, can those two things work? Are they always inherently intention? I think there's probably a pathway through somewhere, those two things. But right now, they seem a little bit um, tugging away at each other. Okay, cool. Listen, we have to kind of move it on from there. We have to let you guys go because we are well over time. Um, but I want to thank uh, you for joining Suchara Malotra. Uh, Vicky Saunders and uh, Steve Ward, thank you for sharing your input and insight on what's happening in EB uh, this year. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Adam, by the way, I know what you're going to say. It's like, yeah, we need more time. And you're right. Um, you know, like we need, we need to split this up into bits, man. I mean, do you know what I mean? We're crushing it in um, and we're rushing people on and off. But that's just, that's how we've arranged it. Next year, we'll know better. We'll spread the Brain Food Lives across chunks across the uh, uh, on a daily to do the review. All right, folks, we're off. We have to let it go. Next week, we are on episode three of our four-parter. We're talking LinkedIn. You can't get away from LinkedIn. Recruiters are basically uh, sign into LinkedIn every single day, every 365 days a year. I'm pretty certain you do that. Um, anybody watching this, we're going to review it in terms of content, newsfeed, and search. We've got Andy Foote and Irina Shamiva, two of the best people on both of those two areas. They're going to tell us all about what's happened in LinkedIn in 2023. Okay, make sure you follow the channel. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time. Cool. Sorry, mate. I know it's like, I know your brain's frozen. No, it's all right. Um, what, are you doing? what are you doing for the weekend? Sleeping? Oh, by the way, I, I, I missed the event yesterday with Giorgio, so I, I need to update you on that. Um, I just pinged him a message. I couldn't do it. Um, I, was, I just blocked, but I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with him next week. What am I doing this weekend? I've got loads of work, man. I've just got to power through. Um, I, I'm writing these essays on reviewing the year, so I've got to do 6 to 10. That's ha happening Monday. Got to do brain food. Got, got to do Christmas shopping. I'm way behind on that. I mean, Christ. Um yeah, I'm looking for a break, but I can't I can't see it. Do you know what I mean? How about you, man? I'm playing rugby tonight. Um at half time on the pitch in the Glasgow Warriors versus Northampton game. Uh what's happening? You're playing rugby and yeah. but what's happening on the on the oh, oh there's a, there's another game on the side. I'm playing I'm no, I'm playing on the pitch at half time in the Glasgow Warriors <laughs> v Northampton game no way against a bunch of former scottish professional rugby players okay so, so for a charity thing so i i hope this is like three minutes of of, of rugby well it'll be it'll three be minutes of touch be, rugby it's 10 it's 10 i think i'm playing before uh, the game and uh, and at half time against like like former scotland rugby players um, and then I'm actually playing rug. I've got an actual full I'm rugby match tomorrow. tomorrow. So you're going to be battered, basically physically. That's going to be hard work. All, all you don't lose your strength, mate. I mean, when you, when, it doesn't matter if you're 85. I think if you've got strength at 40 odd, 
you're going to keep it all the way through. So I don't. That's the last thing to go. I don't fancy your chances, mate. But um, no. Nice to nice to know you anyway. I just yeah. want to say it's been yeah. good hanging out. Um, so yeah, good luck, good luck, and uh, right. I'll, I'll ping you next week. See if you're around, mate. All right. See you later. Right, end broadcast.